to let God know how much we love him. That's what worship is all about. I'm reading about the tabernacle in my daily devotions right now. How many have read about the tabernacle? How many know it gets a little tedious sometimes with the ouches and the conches and the curtains and, the, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff? But I found out, I saw something that I just don't remember thinking about before a whole lot. And one of the offerings that they made was a, he, was a heave offering. And I thought, what in the world is a heave offering, you know? And it's when you, when you lift it up to God. And that's an act of worship, giving the sacrifice, giving praise unto God. And I want us right now in prayer to do that very thing. And while I'm going to lead in a word of prayer, you can be heaving up to God and offering to God the sacrifice of praise to a God who is amazing. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We sure don't. We don't deserve it at all. But you know what? He loves us anyhow. So let's, let's give him a heave offering this morning of love as we go to him in prayer. Our Father, as we bow before you right now, God, we do so to humble ourselves in the presence of a sovereign, almighty, all-powerful God. Lord, we're nothing. We're, we're the clay. You are the potter. You mold us and make us, and you're sovereign. Your will is above all else. And so we thank you, Father, for the fact that though you're so high, holy, and lifted up, you're mindful of us, each one of us, so much so that every person is building was knit together in their mother's womb, and that you superintended that very action. God, you know exactly where we are right now. You know exactly what we need today. <clears throat> I thank you, Lord, for praises and answers to prayer that some <clears throat> are sharing today. And then I also remember those who are going through some tough times right now and need a special touch from you. Father, I, I'm not able to do what you can do, so I pray that as in the preaching that you would take the words, that you would direct them and guide them, and they would find a home in our hearts, and that they would give us the hope that we need and give us the courage to do what's right. Father, we ask you to bless us, forgive us of our sins, and meet with us today, Lord, where two or three are gathered together. There you are in the very middle. So we welcome you, and we thank you for coming in Jesus' name. And all the people said... Before you sit down, I want you to shake hands with someone. If you're afraid of the coronavirus, give them an elbow, <laughs> give them an air, air high five, whatever. What's up, Bobby? Thank you so much. All right, if you're here for the very first time, 
If you're here for the very first time, First Baptist Church, you're a guest. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe you drove by and saw the church. Maybe you looked in the paper, the Coronado paper, and you saw the address, and you're here. Man, thank you so much for coming. You've made our day. And in the seat backs in front of you is one of these connection cards. This is an opportunity for us to get to know you. And if you have any questions about us, you can also ask those. If you have prayer requests, you can fill that out in the back. We'd love to have contact information. We will not harass you. I promise you that. But we would like to be able to know who you are and a little bit more about you. So please take a moment, fill this out. Then when you get through, you can either hand it to me or to my wife or just about anybody here. Or you can take it back to the offering box, which is by the double doors, and slip it in the offering box as a first-time guest. Thank you so much for coming. Members, remember your tithes and offerings. We've got some exciting things ahead, so let's uh, be faithful with that. Today we're going to be preaching on the second, second coming of, G of Christ. And, and I'm, not, I'm not stuttering. It's the second, second coming of Christ. You'll understand more a little bit later. I believe that we as Christians have a responsibility to uh, the Lord first and foremost, we also have great privilege in the United States of America. Being able to vote is an amazing benefit. The Apostle Paul used his Roman citizenship to the, to the advancement of the cause of Christ. So for that reason, we have a nonpartisan uh, voter's guide in your uh, bulletin this morning. You can go. It's not telling you who to vote for. It's showing you what people's positions are on certain issues that ought to be of interest, like pro-life interest to the Christian and so on. So that's there. You can go online, get everything filled out, and go to the polls knowing what you're going to vote on. And then also, there's a little bitty tiny uh, graph here. Uh, it's the difference in the two, the two phases of the second coming of Christ. I'm, it helps me to visually see some of this. So we printed that up, put it in there. That might be of, of help to you. And then we have the outline, uh, the outline also in the bulletin if you get a chance to kind of fill that out as we go. Um, be sure to check the bulletin for calendar scheduled Bible studies through the week. This Saturday, men's prayer breakfast, that'll be at 8 a.m. right here. If you can come and help us early, about 7 or a little bit after, help us cook, help us set up, we would appreciate that very, very much. By the way, speaking of setup, does anybody notice anything different today? Yeah, thanks to Bobby, we now have, we're not as lopsided as we used to be, because we used to have five over here, six over here, and now we got six over here, six over here, so we, and we still got a good aisle here, so uh, we're trying to figure out how to get more seats in the, in the building, so be praying, because we're also talking to an architect about maybe opening up this sound booth and this back office and being able to add another 20 or 30 seats and go out front a little bit and put an office out there for Julie, uh, so be praying about that. Be thinking about that. We'll talk to you more about that in the future. Next Sunday, going to be preaching on the mother of all battles. And it was not the battle in Iraq, as it was prophesied. Some prophesied it would be the mother of all battles. But there is one that's coming that would be well-suited to be named that. It's the Battle of Armageddon. So we'll talk about that, the Lord willing, next week. And it's ironic that the mother of all battles is the sermon, and it's time change Sunday. Uh, for some of you, the mother of all battles is setting your clock forward and getting up and being in church on time. So uh, that is time change Sunday spring forward. Coming up, two services on Easter. No way we can get everybody in for one, even using the overflow area outside. So two services on Easter. It, neither one will be at 10 o'clock. If you come at 10 o'clock, you'll be right in the middle, okay? And, and I will take opportunity to preach to you alone. So... Yeah, so you don't want that. So uh, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, here's what my challenge is to every member of First Baptist Church. 
work one service and then attend one service and worship. Work one, attend one. Either one will work out fine. Uh, we'll have classes. We'll have a great time. Uh, Lord willing, let's be praying that God gives us a great Easter service because, uh, man, that's when a lot of people are thinking about the Lord who don't normally think about him. So we're going to have some Easter invitations. They're being printed right now. We're going to put a banner out front uh, to let the community know that uh, we're having two services on that day. So hopefully uh, we'll have a great, great Easter. But you know what? Here at First Baptist, every Sunday is Easter Sunday because we celebrate a risen Lord. So let's continue to worship the Lord. Let's do our heave offering as we stand together and sing and lift up praises to the Lord.
no hurt that heaven cannot heal. He's there for you. All you got to do is call out to him. I'm going to ask all the girls and boys, the First Baptist Church, come on up to the front for a little uh, minute message with your preacher before you go to your classes. So all the girls and boys coming on up. And I was reminded this morning, I just wanted to say this uh, periodically, I, I like to say it, <clears throat> um, Doug Cole is, uh, has been deployed, and so uh, talk, talking to Donna, and if you're in the military, ladies, and your husband's deployed, and, you know, the water heater goes out, the car conks out, because it always waits till he's gone, right? <laughs> so if that happens, let us know. We'll try to get some help for you. Uh, if you're a guy and your wife's deployed, you're on your own. Um, <laughs> We do discriminate. I ain't going to help no guy. Just uh, you help yourself. But, but we'll make sure the ladies are taken care of while you're gone. So thank you all for being here. Anybody know what this is? Yes, sir. A piece of laminated paper. Now, upon closer inspection, this piece of laminated paper appears to be a... A calendar. That's exactly right. And I, I was looking at my calendar here, and I've got, um, there's all kinds of things here. For example, it's got like Christmas on here. It's got Hanukkah on here. It's got Boxing Day on here. And as I keep going through here, here's New Year's Day and Martin Luther King Day and President's Day. We just went through an Ash Wednesday, and it's got Daylight Savings Time on the 8th, which is coming up. Move your clocks forward. Be on time in God's house. And then it's got... Oh, let me see. Easter Sunday on April the 12th and Mother's Day on May the 10th and Father's Day on May the 21st, on June the 21st and the Battle of Boys Day, Northern Ireland. I didn't even know there was such a thing uh, on uh, July the 12th. And, and I'm looking all through it, but my calendar, well, what do you use this for? Does anybody know what you use this for? Yes, ma'am. What year it is, yeah? And what day it is? Yes, sir? Uh, so you can keep track of the dates, like you don't have to get a certain thing. That's right. You can write something under. Like if you have a doctor's appointment or you've got a baseball game, you can write that down on the calendar. You know it's coming up. So that, but my calendar isn't working right. My calendar's not working right. I looked all the way through it. I, I really did. All the way from the very beginning, all the way to the very end. And you know what? I can't find here. I can't find where it says when Jesus is coming back. Can anybody help me with that? No? <laughs> I can't find it. Yes, sir. Idea? Huh? Nobody knows. And nobody knows. In fact, the Bible tells us of that day and that hour, of that day and that hour, knows no man uh, but the Father in heaven. Not even the angels know that day that's coming on. So, so no wonder I couldn't find it on here. And, and then Jesus said, those were Jesus' words, by the way. Then he said, be ready. How can we be ready? Well, we can be ready by several ways. Uh, one thing is we can make sure that we know Jesus is our personal Savior and that we love him and that we believe in him with our heart and that we're trusting him for whatever happens. The other way is written in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. It said, if we have this eager expectation of Jesus coming back, then what we ought to do is keep ourselves pure, even as Jesus is pure. So we're supposed to stay away from sin, stay away from things in our lives that would be an embarrassment if Jesus came back right at that particular time while we were doing those things. So 
We don't know when he's coming back. And I'm preaching on this today to all of the adults here. But you know what? One day he is coming back, and it could be today. So make sure you're trusting Jesus as your Savior, and make sure that you're being a good testimony, living for him, doing what he wants you to do so you won't be embarrassed when he comes back, okay? One of these days, he's coming back. Could be today. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for the blessings that you give us. Lord, we thank you for the promise that you've not left us, that you're coming back one day. And I pray, God, that all of these boys and girls would be ready. I pray that all these adults would be ready, that we'd all make sure that our faith is in Christ as our personal Savior. And beyond that then, Father, you'd help us to live holy lives, clean lives, so that we're ready at any moment in time that we would not be embarrassed if you came back. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, amen. Amen. Okay, younger class, dismiss your class. The older class goes out to be with mom and dad. And thank you guys for being here today. And uh, for those of you that are in the auditorium here, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to um, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. By the way, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. It's a good practice to do. We, we have pew Bibles, but they get the chair Bibles, but they get uh, dumped and fall off when we stack up chairs. So every week, this place is rearranged about three or four times. So uh, it's good to bring your own Bible. In John chapter 14, there's a legend associated with King Arthur and the knights of the famous round table. In, in, this, in this legend, uh, King Arthur has said that he would come back again to England from the Isle of Avalon to bring about better times for all of Great Britain. Another man, known as, simply known as Houdini, claimed he would return from the dead. He was also known as the world's greatest escape artist. How many have heard of Houdini? All right. Uh, he could bind him with ropes, and somehow he would break the cords. You could handcuff him front of his back, or, or front of him, or, or behind him. Either way, he would get out of him. He even had one um, demonstration of his abilities where he would be sealed in a coffin and tossed into a lake, and he would swim to the surface after a few moments. Another time, they riveted him inside of a boiler, and somehow he would get out. And the thing about Houdini is evidently he got to believing in his own abilities so much that he decided at one point he, would, he made a pact with his wife. He said, I'm going to return from the dead. After death, I'm going to figure out a way to escape, and I will come back again. And they agreed upon a secret sign, and his wife waited. She waited a year. She waited two years, three years, five years, seven years. She waited 10 years and finally went over to a picture of Houdini that hung on the wall, that hung on the wall, and turned the light out over that picture because Houdini did not come back. In World War II, there was a famous American general, General Douglas MacArthur, who was driven from the Philippine Islands when the Japanese invaded at the beginning of World War II, and he also vowed to return. Well, we know today that King Arthur, if in fact he ever really was, never came back. We know that Houdini never was able to come back. And we also know, though, that General Douglas MacArthur did return to the Philippine Islands. <clears throat> in fact, we have a statue right across the bay uh, representing that particular fact when he waded ashore uh, and going back into the Philippines. So, so two of them promised to come back. One of them, three of them did. One of them actually did. But 2,000 years before any of these events, someone else made the promise to return to Earth for a specific purpose. 
There are 216 chapters in the New Testament, and those 27 books, 216 chapters. In those chapters, there are 318 references to the return of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. 216 chapters, 27 books, 318 references to the return of Christ. Jesus promised he would come back again. So Jesus is the promiser. The promise is he would return. The promiser, Jesus said, I'm coming back a second time. You're in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So let's not get in such a hurry to go through that verse that we don't fixate this morning on the fact that I will come again and receive you unto myself. That is a promise from the word, the words of Jesus Christ. It's written in red in my Bible. It is Jesus saying, I am going to come back again. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, I read this not too long ago, where Paul said, at a time when Christians were expecting and anticipating the return of Christ, and he hadn't come back yet, and so people's loved ones started passing away. Mom and dad would pass away. Brother or sister would pass away. Husband or wife would pass away. And people began to get panicky and thought, now what's going to happen to my loved one? Because the promise was, Jesus is returning to the earth again, but now my loved one's dead, so I, I, I don't know what to expect. So through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul wrote these words, I would not have you to be unlearned or ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, and to show sorrow not as others which have no hope. And he explains why. Because if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that was the Easter story, he, he was crucified, he rose again, if we believe that, them also who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, I want you to notice, he's going to bring those who are asleep in the Lord with him when he comes back to the earth. In order for him to bring them with him back to the earth, they have to be where he is. All right? Does that make sense? They have to be there. And so, uh, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the time of the coming of the Lord, Paul anticipated being alive when Jesus came again because the promise was an imminent promise. He could come at any time. And so Paul expected it. He said, we who are alive and remain unto the time of the coming of the Lord shall not precede them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those bodies that have been buried, that have been cremated, that have been buried at sea, that have been wherever happened to those, that, those physical bodies, the, the spirit coming back with the Lord Jesus Christ will be reunited with that raised up body again. And then we who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And there's the comfort. Comfort one another with these words. So, uh, this is talking about uh, this, this, this appearing or this shining forth. It's in the Greek, it's apocalypsis, which means a special demonstration, a manifestation. It's a grander and, and more comprehensive word than just the English word appearing or returning. It, it includes not merely the things shown, but the interpretation of the unveiling of it. Christ's first coming was described and, uh, with a Greek word called uh, an epiphania, which we get the word epiphany from. 
That was the Christ being born in Bethlehem of Judea. He was an epiphany. He, he appeared. But the apocalypsis is far more glorious. It's grander. It's incredible. And, and let me give you a verse on that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed, that's that acolyptus, shall be revealed in an incredible demonstration from heaven with his mighty angels. Notice this. He's coming with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a whole different thing from the trumpet sound and the in the air and the catching up and going to be with the Lord. This is coming back in great power, demonstration, manifestation with incredible uh, military and, 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 and spiritual might. Another reference in Matthew 24, for as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, uh, so shall the coming be. And, and Jude 14, 15, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied these things, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against. So that's why I'm calling this the second, second advent of Christ. The advent means the appearing. The, the second, second, because there are two. He, he, in, in your graph there, uh, and, and I think there's a, there, there's a chart right there, the very first part of this, the rapture of the saved, we talked about two or three weeks ago. That's when the Lord comes in there. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 where he comes with the trumpet, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ are raised. They're reunited with their bodies. They've come back with him. They're reunited, and they go to be with the Lord in the heaven. That's what happens over here. Then you have the seven years of incredible tribulation and judgment upon the earth, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bull judgments, and then you have the return of Christ in glory. This is the second, second coming right over here. This is when he comes to and there'll be another chart, I think, a little bit later on, where he actually comes to the Mount of Olives, and we'll read a verse from Zechariah. I believe it is about that. So, so both of these events, the rapture and the revelation, that's how I distinguish the two, the rapture and the revelation are both part of this seven, uh, second advent and are separated by a seven-year period of time. So let's look at the programs then, and let's kind of look at the differences and, and know that why they're not the same event. In the rapture, he comes in the air. John 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4. Uh, to, in, in Revelation, he comes to the earth. In Zechariah 12, 10, Enoch, the seventh, prophesied to execute judgment upon all, to convince all the ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds. We already read that verse. In Zechariah 14, watch, for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken the houses looted, the women attacked, half the population will be taken into captivity, the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then will the Lord go out to fight against those nations as he's fought in times past. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, literally will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. And half of the mountains shall be moved toward the north and half to the south, and he's saying to his nation Israel through the prophet Zechariah, you will flee through this valley, for it will reach across to Azel. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Isaiah of Judah. 
when the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. So the difference is stark. The difference is amazing. He comes in the air, calls up his own. We go be with him. We're with him for the Bema seat. We're with him for the marriage of the Lamb. We come back to earth. Then at that time, he comes in judgment. He comes riding on a white steed. He comes to execute judgment. Uh, People see him. They behold him. We'll find out a nation, Israel, will receive him finally as the anointed one in the Christ that they have not received him as thus far. Now, the rapture, another difference here, it comes in mystery. Do you know that the rapture was not foretold as such in the Old Testament? All the prophecies in the Old Testament about the second coming are about uh, in in relationship to the revelation, in relationship to his coming back to deliver Israel. The rapture was something that was not seen. The rapture was a mystery. And so we're told to, as Christians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, to watch for it. God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. We weren't made for that tribulation time. We weren't made for that judgment. We were like, uh, like, if you will, Noah and the ark. There were people spared during the time of tribulation. We're going to be spared of this horrible time of tribulation that's going to fall upon the earth because of our faith in Jesus Christ. He has become the ark of safety. So he comes in mystery. That's the rapture. Because you've obeyed my command, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to to this world. That's in Revelation 3.10. You know what happens right after Revelation 3.10? The church is evacuated out of the whole situation. We don't see the church referred to uh, after that. So we will be delivered. In Luke chapter 21, verse 36, keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and to stand before the Son of Man. Acts 15, 14, and Peter has told you about the time when God first visited the Gentiles to take to them a people for himself. And the conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the prophets revealed as it is written, afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. So at the, at the rapture, he comes for the precious ones. He comes for those who are saved. He comes for those who've been redeemed. They are precious to him. Uh, there are no signs to that part of the coming. Did you know that? That's why we say we believe in the imminent return of Christ. Nothing else on the prophetic calendar has to happen until Jesus comes again. That's why I say he could come today, he could come tomorrow, he could come next week, he could come next month, next year, 10 years, 100 years. We don't know when it's going to be. There are no signs of the rapture. He doesn't touch the earth at this particular point in time. He comes in the air, stays in the air, calls us out. He, he doesn't stay here. But in the rapture, he's going to come down. He's going to set up his millennial kingdom. What's a millennial? A millennial is a young person, right? Young adult uh, in in their 30s or less or whatever. That's millennials. Well, they get the same title because uh, they were born at the turn of the millennium. But a millennial is a thousand years reign. And that's the kingdom age that was promised to Uh, to the whole nation of Israel, that there would be a king and that he would be on the crown, on the throne, and he would wear a crown. And uh, so that was what was promised to them. So that's the rapture. But at the revelation, guess what? He's coming as king and conqueror in Revelation chapter 19. I saw the heaven open and a white horse was standing there, its rider named Faithful and True, 
for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one could understand except himself. Listen to this description. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses, and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. This is going to be the, ra- the return of Jesus Christ, the revelation. Jeremiah said, the time is coming when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's throne. And this is exactly who that person is. Uh, this coming, uh, as opposed to being secretive like the rapture, this one was foretold oftentimes both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This time, he doesn't come and just call his own out of the earth. He comes bearing a sword. This time, it won't just be the saved people who recognize that he's returned. It will be the whole world. People will see him all at once. Every eye shall behold him. And you know what? Back before satellites, back before television, back before there was the ability to broadcast worldwide situations, I always wondered, how's this going to happen? How's the whole world going to see him? How can that possibly be fulfilled? But now we know. Now we can see how it can happen all at once. And there are signs that precede this. There are all kinds of signs that indicate that this revelation or the second part of the return of Christ is going to happen. In the rapture, Christians are told to watch and wait for this. In the revelation, they, they are encouraged that whoever endures to the end um, might be saved. So uh, the, the fact is that uh, that's a tenuous place to be in to endure all of the death, destruction, and judgment that's going to happen in the judgments during the tribulation in order to endure and to see Christ return. The rapture, he comes for his bride. In the revelation, he comes with his bride. In the rapture, his coming is imminent. In the revelation, it's preceded by signs and, and is after the great tribulation, the seven years of terror. The rapture should control our conduct. I was trying to tell the kids, you know, how do you be ready? How can you be ready for the return of Christ? By being saved, first of all, because if you're not saved and the Lord comes back, then you're going to be entering into a terrible time of death and destruction and judgment in this earth. So be saved, first and foremost. And then secondly, be living for God. Be pure as he is pure. Live a holy life. Be dedicated unto him. Be found faithful. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you're working your job. Whatever your job is, military, civilian, uh, what, whatever it is, you're working your job, and, and you decide to just kind of take an unauthorized break, and you sit down, and you're you know, eating a candy bar or something, and all of a sudden, your supervisor comes in. You know, that can be kind of a little disheartening, a little embarrassing, a little uh, uh, unprepared for that. So don't be caught unawares. Don't be caught off guard by the Lord coming back when you're in the middle of doing things that you have no business doing. It's very important for us to make sure we're safe, make sure that we're living for the Lord, that we're being faithful as we should be. John said it this way, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure as he is pure. So we must watch and wait. Uh, The rapture, it should control our conduct. The revelation will conclude chaos. 
because Armageddon, we're going to learn about next week, will be launched. Armageddon will be in full sway. Armageddon, that great battlefield in the valley of Megiddo that is now uh, marked right now, at least it was when I was there a few years ago, with a sign saying, this is where the battle of Armageddon will be fought. The, the armies of the world will be there, and it'll be intense. It'll be a terrible time, and Jesus will come back and put an end to all of that outright rebellion. The rapture is the beginning of the tribulation. The revelation is at the end of the tribulation. I think we have a chart uh, again for that, maybe the same one that we used before. Rapture is a message of hope. Comfort one another with these words. You've lost loved ones. You can see them again. You, you, you are worried about the coronavirus. You're worried about crime. You're worried about uh, war. You're worried about all of the problems and pressures that face us. You're worried about the finances. The stock market fell, you know, I don't know, 6 million points or whatever uh, last week. And, and you're fretting and you're nervous and, and all of that. Guess what? We have a hope that is more secure than the stock market. Thank God for that. We have a hope that's more secure than anything that people can offer us, more secure than anything we can provide for ourselves. It is a message of hope. Comfort one another with these words. No matter how bad things get, no matter what kind of pressures you're under. I was talking this morning with somebody about panic attacks. If you've had panic attacks, you know they are terrible. You know what? We have somebody who ultimately controls everything that goes on. We can sit there and stew in our juices and have our panic attacks and, and lose our minds, or we can say, you know what? God is God, and he's in control, and I'm going to trust him no matter what. I, you know, I, I don't, this, this coronavirus is on everybody's mind, and, 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 you know, we should use precaution. I've been praying for people who are infected, for countries where it's uh, spreading, and, and it could be an epidemic. There have been many epidemics. I'm just going to tell you something. As a child of God, and, and, I, and if you're a child of God, you should identify with this. As a child of God, if I get the coronavirus and kick the bucket, I want to be in heaven. Right. That's not all bad. I mean, you know, to me, it's kind of like, well, you know, that's, that's a good thing. That's, that's a comfort that we have, and that's what the rapture is, it is a comfort. When you go to the cemetery and you, you remember loved ones, they're not even there. If they knew Christ, they're not even at the cemetery. You're going to go visit what? I remember when we got our, we, we our pre-needs taken care of, I don't know, a couple of decades ago, I guess, over at Glen Abbey. And so, so when we were sitting there with a the salesperson Saying, uh, you know, what, what kind of, and so there's all these, there's a mausoleum, and there's, there's these double-decker things, and they're side-by-side, side and, and, and so we chose the double-decker thing, uh, you know, and, and so then, then they said, now, would you like, would you like a site overlooking the golf course, or do you want one <laughs> overlooking the Veterans Memorial? I said, you know, I'm more than likely not going to be looking at either one of them, so, uh, you know, you know, I don't really care. I, <laughs> I don't care at all. It is a hope that they're not there. We're not going to be there. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and if the Lord comes back in my life, I'm going to be taken right out. I'm not even going to have to die. Is that a cool thing? There's a generation is not going to have to die because they have their faith in Christ, and we're going to be snatched 
out of this earth. So it's hope. Meanwhile, the revelation, the second, second coming, it's a time of terror, folks. Somebody was telling me uh, their, their teenage son was here two, three weeks ago and said, man, it freaked him out to think about what's going to be going on in the tribulation. You know what? A thinking person is going to be freaked out about what's going on in the revelation. It is not going to be a cool time. It is not going to be a time. It's going to be so unlike anything that America has known. There are countries who will have had a taste of what's going on because they live in places where violence rules the day and revolution is rampant and disease and Ebola and everything else is, has its way. Uh, but for us in America, it's going to be quite a shocker, a time of terror. Here's another thing. about the, In one verse, there are two references, both to the rapture and the revelation, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. And it says this in this verse. Now we beseech you or beg you, brothers, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, you might read that and not see what I'm going to point out. I, I didn't see it until I studied for this message. But in the first reference, where he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Greek word is kurios, which is translated the Lord. He's our Lord. When you get saved, Jesus becomes your Lord. There's some talk years ago, I don't know if there still is, about lordship, salvation, and you have to not only be saved, you have to believe in the lordship. You know what? When you get saved, he just is your Lord. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you, whether you submit in the way that you should or not, if you don't submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, he has a way of disciplining us. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he can bring us around to the point where we do what we're supposed to do. But here's this, this coming of the Lord, Kurios, Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord of those who are saved. He is not the Lord of those who are lost. God is not the father of every human being. God is the creator of every human being. God gives life. But he is the father of those who've been born again into the family of God. And by virtue of being born again, he is the Lord then of those of us who profess faith in Christ. But by way of contrast, the last part of that verse says that the day of Christ is at hand. Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah. So there's an, an opposition in, in these verse, verse 1, verses 2. It, there's the lordship and then there's the messiahship. And the lordship is typical of the rapture and the coming for those of us who, who are belong to him already. And then the messiahship, he's coming uh, as the victor, as the conqueror, as the lord of lords and the king of kings in the revelation. Now, the events following the rapture and the revelation are different. Uh, following the rapture, you have the beam of seat we talked about. You have the marriage of the Lamb. You have the return to physical earth. Those are the things that happen after uh, the rapture of, uh, of the church. Under the, after the revelation, you have the defeat of the Antichrist. Remember that? He's cast into hell. You have the salvation of Israel as a nation saved in a day. You have something called the judgment of the nations, which we haven't talked about to this point. You have the millennial kingdom, which we made reference to. Then you have the new heavens and the new earth. By the way, the first time... The earth was renovated by water. 
and a worldwide universal flood, the next time it's going to be renovated, it will not be by water. Christ said he would not do that. He gave us a token in the skies, the, the uh, a rainbow that would be a symbol of the fact he would never again universally destroy all of life with a universal flood. But rather, it's going to be purified by fire. And then what follows that is eternity. So in the rapture, sin will continue on the earth. In fact, it's going to intensify because the Holy Spirit right now restrains sin. In 2 Thessalonians 2.7, for this lawlessness, the lawlessness of the Antichrist, is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. The Holy Spirit is the one holding back and restraining. God still sets boundaries. Did you know that? God still keeps dictators. God still keeps individuals from crossing certain boundaries. And the plans of a person might be to do something, but God will control his steps. And God can put an end and say that's enough whenever he so determines. But there is coming a time after the rapture when the influence of the Holy Spirit will be lifted and the Holy Spirit will not restrain sin like he does in our present age. In the Revelation, sin is judged and greatly curtailed. At least open sin is done right away. Once Christ comes back, the battle of Armageddon is over. The millennial kingdom is established. The Bible says people's lifespans will revert back to longer lifespans again, but that sin will be judged immediately. So uh, a whole different thing between the rapture and the revelation, the second coming and the second second coming. So here, here's the application. What is the preparation? The preparation is to get saved now. On the day of salvation, I helped you, the Bible says, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. What is the benefit of waiting to be, become a Christian? I know when you're younger, you say, you know, when I get old, like when I'm 25, <laughs> then I'll become a Christian. I'll sow my wild oats. Well, the only problem with sowing your wild oats is you reap wild oats if you sow wild oats. Well, I'm going to wait till I get a staff. I'm going to wait till I do this. I'm going to wait till that. What, what's the advantage? It, it, it's, it's Pascal's wager, right? It, it's, it's the idea of, of, of gambling everything and gaining nothing by waiting as opposed to gaining everything and gambling nothing. I would rather be safe. I would rather be sure. I'd rather be secure. I'd rather know for certain that my eternity is set and fixed and secure in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He's the one who died for me on the cross. He's the one who shed his blood. He's the one who became my heave offering. He's the one who became my wave offering. He's the one who became the sweet-smelling incense burning. He is the one who became the payment for my sins as we have communion here in just a few moments. He's the one whose body was broken and his blood was shed as a, an atonement. But more than that, not only an atonement and a covering, but taking away my sin. He took my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. And when God looks at me now, he looks at me through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And I am righteous right now as if I were in heaven. Now, I'm not. I know that. And the sanctification process is a painful one. And it's a slow one in this earth, but I'm already justified in God's sight. So be saved.
right now. What, what are you waiting for? Because if you put off, it off too long and you pass away, or if you put it off too long and the Lord comes back, then eternity is forever. Secondly, live without shamefulness. Be in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from shame. We already talked about that a little bit. Third thing is, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Work enthusiastically because you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You know why I know that? The Bible says if you give a cup of cold water in his name, he takes note of that. Seriously? A cup of cold water? That's no big deal. But God takes notice of that. And God takes notice of our faithfulness. So I'm going to encourage you. If you're not saved, you can trust Christ as your Savior today. I'll show you how in just a moment. If you're saved but not living for God, you're away from him right now, you're walking a path that he's not pleased with, you're, you, you need to come back to him. And that's part of what this is all about right here. You have an opportunity to examine your own heart and confess your sins to the Lord and make things right and get back in right relationship with him. And thirdly, if you're saved and you're where God wants you to be, then don't move. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you're not saved this morning, don't let anything distract you. Don't leave without making certain of that. And here's how you can do it. There are four things we need to know. First of all, we need to know that we're sinners. Secondly, we need to know that we're going to die one day. Thirdly, we need to know that Jesus Christ died for us. And fourth, we need to know that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All these from the book of Romans. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and if it's your desire to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior and make certain that you're ready for whatever happens, then I'm going to encourage you to, in your own heart, pray this prayer to the Lord. You can say something like this, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. You've said all have fallen short of the glory of God. I'm one of those people. I also know that unless you come back soon, I will die. This life will be over. That's a fact. By faith, I believe that Jesus is your son and that he was crucified on the cross and that he was buried and that he rose again after three days. Also by faith, I believe that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this morning, in this place, as sincerely as I know how to be, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of the sins I've said, thought, and committed. God, help me to be your child today. I pray right now. With every head bowed, no one looking around, just for a moment. If you just prayed that prayer and you're sincere about it, 
Would you do me a favor? Would you slip your hand up just for a moment? Hold it up. I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. God bless you. Thank you. Put your, yes, God bless you too. Anyone else? Raise it up real high. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise. I just, I just want to praise the Lord for it. I want to pray for you. Anyone else? Preacher, I, I just prayed that prayer. Sincere as I know how to be. Anybody else? Quickly. Our Father, I thank you so much for these two who have raised their hands. I pray, God, that you've heard their prayer. I know you do. You've, you've promised to hear our prayers. When we call upon you, you'll, you'll forgive us. So I pray that you would make their bodies a temple of your Holy Spirit and that you would live within them, dwell within them. That, God, they might take their steps of obedience to you. They might let people know they've put their faith in you. They might then follow you in whatever way that you lead them, in baptism or whatever way it is that you lead them. Father, I pray for Christians here who straight away are not as faithful as we ought to be. God, I pray that you'd bring us back as we sit here at the Lord's table in just a moment, as we partake of these elements, God, help us to be in right relationship with you. Lord, if you're leading someone to join the church or to be baptized, then I pray that you would help them to contact us after the service and make arrangements to do those things. But now we dedicate this time to you as we get ready to come to your table. May you bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are going to serve the communion to come forward. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, in the Amplified Version, I usually read this in a different version, but I was impressed as I read this a couple of weeks ago, made note of it. We're going to start out passing the element of the bread, and as the element is served to you, we'd ask you to keep it until everyone else is served at the same time. So go ahead, gentlemen, start passing that out. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new and better covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for the many as a substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in the Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives.
Bible says they gave thanks and they broke it. John, would you give thanks for the broken body of our Savior? He said, take eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup. Allow me to read this reference again in the Amplified Version. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new and better covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many as a substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it with you anew in my Father's kingdom. 
Dan, would you offer thanks for the shed blood of our Savior? He said, drink from it, all of you. And then verse 30 of Matthew 26 says, after singing a hymn, they walked out. And I'd like for us to stand as we do traditionally, as we join hands across the aisle and around the auditorium as much as possible, a symbol of our unity in, in Jesus Christ. And let's sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. the Lord throughout the day. God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today. Mm -hmm.